So, good morning. Uh, Paul's already introduced me. Uh, my name is Carol, and I'm on the leadership team here. And I'm going to start off by being totally honest. 1 Peter 4 is not an easy book to read. Peter boldly tells persecuted believers in ancient Turkey exactly what to expect and how they should respond. And you know, with what's going on with the Church of England at the moment and the financial crisis and conflict around the world, we aren't living in easy times. People are suffering on our TV screens. People are suffering uh, from the financial crisis. We know people that are suffering and some of us are suffering ourselves. And these are different times to Peter's, but they equally have their challenges. So, going right on in there, the important question, what is it about suffering that makes it so important that it's mentioned 42 times in the New Testament and 12 times in 1 Peter alone? Well, we don't like to think or talk about suffering because it's uncomfortable. Well, this morning, we're going to meet this whole subject head on by seeing what God's word says, what he's given us, what it looks like both, both then and now, and finally, how we respond. So first, what God says. Romans 5 Verses 3 to 5 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, my question to God was, How does that work then? Who recognises this? It's a spitfire. And these became famous in World War II and they were fighter planes. And arguably when England was threatened by evasion from Germany, they played one of the biggest parts in the battles for the skies over our land. The thing is that these planes were designed for defence in peacetime, and they were designed to be fast and agile. But it wasn't until they were tested in battle situations that the true versatility of these planes was discovered. When in battles, their agility and speed was tested beyond their design specifications and the pilots discovered hidden strength and and versatility in the planes. And through dogged perseverance born out of the desperation of the battles they faced, they unearthed the hidden strengths of the plane and that gave the pilots, pilots hope in their machine, hope that they would prevail. Everything was against them, but they won through. They won through because they had hope. What has God given us? In Psalm 39, we're told, 
You created, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden for you when I was in made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to life. This tells us that within our unique design, God put in all our gifts, our calls, and our attributes. In fact, everything we would need to face whatever struggles and hardships that we would have to endure or we would endure throughout our lives. It's not until we go through testing or experience suffering that we discover exactly what we're made of, exactly what God put in us. Have you ever been in a dreadful situation and felt like you can't cope with anything more? And then you seem to find something, a deep resilience with inside you, and you press into that, and you think to yourself afterwards, I did it, but I've no idea how. That's what God put in us. And having got through that tough situation, when another looms, you have experience of what happened before and how you won through. It gives you hope. That hope doesn't disappoint because God put everything we need in us to get through the battles we would face. And look, an allegory with a spitfire can only go so far. But it does give an understanding that our idea of limitations isn't how it works out under pressure. God really has put everything inside us that we need. And we need to know that that is a very real thing. When we face battles and we know we've got everything we need to win that battle, we fight with the hope of experience. And the true meanings of the verse from Romans 5 I read at the beginning becomes clear. Suffering does produce perseverance. Perseverance does produce character. And that produces hope. And it's a hope that isn't in vain because God has given that to us. And that knowledge needs to be as real to us as the ground beneath our feet. So what did all this look like then? If you want to follow my, uh, my sermon, uh, 1 Peter 4 is on page 1219, as I'm going to be referring to it. So I've already said today, today's passage is a hard one. The message is hard, the words are hard, and we need to understand what it is inside us before we start looking at it. In this part of his letter, Paul is laying on the line what to expect from the Christian life. He is saying, 
you yourselves know the life you used to live. And people you know who don't know Jesus will will expect you to carry on like that. And when you don't, they're not necessarily going to like it, let alone understand it, and you're going to have to cope with it. And you don't cope with it by giving them a taste of their own medicine, but by focusing on Jesus and praying and treating them all with love. How you act and what you say should be a marked contrast to the treatment that you will receive. Although today this is hard this can be hard to understand Peter knew his audience and he knew that he would understand his words which is probably just as well because apart from the instructions about how to live he plows on in verse 12 onwards about not being surprised about what suffering they're going to have to face and that actually they should rejoice in that suffering. And he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, the sufferings of Christ weren't just feeling a bit hurt or being called names or being ignored. On the cross, Jesus' suffering looked like this. All the sins of the world were laid on him. All the sicknesses of the world were laid on him. He was beaten, hated, and he didn't say a word. That is, until the very worst happened. He knew the connection between him and his father wasn't there anymore. They were separated, and that gave him more pain and suffering than anything else put together. All of these things are the suffering of Christ. And we're supposed to feel joy about it? What do we need to understand? Again, in in preparing, I asked the Lord, well, how does this work then? Now, for many years, a lot of people have told me that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I'm used to hearing it or have been used to hearing it. And three years ago, when I started training in the deeper levels of the prophetic, I simply lost count of the number of people who didn't know me that would come up and prophesy over me time and time again, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It actually got a bit boring. So, um, because I thought, well, I know that. People have told me. I actually have got joy. I know it. So, When I complained to the Lord about the repeating, he said this, I will tell people, I I will tell people until you really get this. It's not your joy in me that's your strength. It's my joy in you that's the true strength. That day I actually got it. His joy in us gives us strength that isn't dependent on us. And it's yet another gift we get when we give our lives to Jesus. So yes, there are, there, there are, vas- uh, there are passages like, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Or in James 1, 2, 
a personal favourite, not. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. But we need to understand that the writers are trying to convey an important truth. The more we understand God's joy in us, the greater the strength we have to draw on in going through sufferings. And that with knowledge uh, 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 and with that, the knowledge of all God has put in us means we can rejoice in that strength that we have. So what can it look like in real life? Well, I do want to be really clear. This isn't about going through something really hard and saying, this is tough, but oh goody, I've got the strength to cope with it. That's not real life. Some of us will have gone through and are still going through really awful stuff. And I'm not for one moment diminishing that. 23 years ago, actually today, the first Sunday of Advent, I came to CCB for the first time. Six weeks later, I'd accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And from that moment that I said yes to Jesus, he started to put a broken person together. A person broken by sexual abuse, a mental breakdown, multiple miscarriages. Now, 23 years later, actually in all those things, I can rejoice about things about, I can rejoice and have joy about things about them. But they are other stories for another time. Because there are, they're with other things I have struggled. Two and a half years ago, my husband, Tony, died from cancer. And my mum died two weeks ago, and we were estranged Because in her words, when the church snapped its fingers, I came running. She didn't understand that it wasn't the church. It was my relationship with Jesus. So I would be guilty of that because if Jesus snapped his fingers, I would come running. She really resented that. And over the years, it was always a root cause of disagreement. And three years ago... All that resentment boiled over, and she said that she would never knowingly contact me ever again. It's horrible, and it hurts. I say all this because trials and suffering, as we know, don't stop when we come to Jesus. I do have strength from all those trials, and I know that the Lord sees me and looks with joy at the way I journey with him. And sometimes joy is not instantaneous. So although with Tony passing, I could be thankful for so many things where the Lord had answered prayers, joy did seem a bit elusive. I couldn't find any joy in the feeling of being alone until on the second anniversary of his passing, I was crying And I found myself asking Jesus a question. Jesus, 
What would life look like now if Tony was still here? And I immediately got a picture of an old man who I only just recognised because he was so frail. And that was my Tony. And I knew that he would have hated being like that. And truthfully, I would have hated it too. And the Lord was showing me that in his great mercy and love for me and for Tony, we had been spared that. My sadness about being alone diminished on that day. And I have joy. I have joy that my Tony is with Jesus. And I'm going to see him again one day. And we've been spared what Jesus knew would happen. The only thing I'm really struggling about at the moment is with the thing with my mum. But it's only been a couple of weeks, so give me grace on that one. And I, I, just as I thought I had come to the end and I was reading the chapter for a final time, I realised something. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter. But it struck me afresh that Peter didn't write this as a book. He didn't know that we would read it today and call it a book we have been looking at Peter's letter. And it struck me that a letter is far more personal than a book. If you write a book, you write it to readers that you don't know. If you write a personal letter, you write it to people you care about. So I urge you to read the book as a letter. And yes, it is directive and it's full of instructions, but it is written as urgently as, and as accurately as Peter knows how. And behind the urgency is Peter's passion and concern for these believers in ancient Turkey. Peter cared about these believers. They mattered to him. 2,000 years on, the author of the letter now stands in glory with his beloved Jesus. But the co-author and instigator of the letter, the Holy Spirit, is with us and in us. Therefore, this letter and this part of the letter is addressed to us, to you and to me. As I pondered on this, I heard Jesus lay, or I felt Jesus lay something on my heart, and I'm coming into land. It's important to know that he put everything in us that we will ever need for what we will face. It's important to know that even in the darkest and most horrible times, there is joy, even though it may seem impossible in the moment. But the most important thing is to know that to Jesus we matter. And the concern and the urgency and the passion of the words that we've looked at today are just a poor representation of all that Jesus feels about us. And he wants us not just to know that, but to really get it. How do we do that? How do we respond? We do it day by day, coming to Jesus and saying, not my will, but yours be done today. 
And if there is one thing that I have learned, particularly over the last three years, it's to ask Jesus questions when I don't understand the stuff that's going on around me and that I am going through. Because in those answers, I get a deeper understanding of how Jesus is working. And there's always a new revelation of his love in a new way. Asking, seeking, listening, and hearing. That's the way we really get to know how Jesus feels about us. Let's pray. Jesus, it's impossible to, it's impossible to verbalize how you feel about us. We really do need to hear that for ourselves. And Father, we can think that's impossible. I never hear from God. I never hear from you. And yet, Father, with perseverance, with just trying it, it's amazing, uh, literally, what you tell us. I thank you for the, the lesson of learning to ask you questions because there is always revel- revelation in it. And Father, there is revelation as to what we're going through, how we go through it, and what you have to say to us in it. So Father, wherever, wherever we are today, in regards to the stuff that we are going through that hurts, Father, let's, let's just imagine ourselves with it in our hands and just giving it over to you. Just give it to Jesus this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you will take it and you will show us the deeper revelation of your love for us. In your mighty name, amen.